Right, this is the CYM podcast, and we are so excited about this endeavor. We wanted to start out with the bang, so come along as a CYM student. Samuel Brown sits down with our pastor for a great conversation. Enjoy. So today we're here with our beloved pastor, Andy Combs. Uh, glad to have you here today. We have a, a few questions for you. And so we'll just go ahead and dive right into it. You ready? Yes. Right. Well, I'm honored to, honored to be part of this. Right. We're glad to have you. Um, so our first one. So you're, you're a guy that is during your preaching, you always use history, right? And just you're always, you like, you're just, I can, I guess I can say that your brain is just compact inside your head. It's just compacted with full of history knowledge, at least in my perspective, that's how it is. So for our first question is how much time do you spend learning about history? Uh, well, I don't, I don't know if I could really specify, you know, exactly how much time I spend, you know, I think a lot of it comes down to, uh, over the years, um, you know, I've, I've, I'll get uh, fascinated with a certain uh, era of time or specific, uh, uh, you know, a, a period of history. And then I will spend, uh, you know, as I delve into that, dive into that, then I'll begin to, um, you know, read about, you know, different battles or people that lived during that time and different different aspects of the people's lives during that, that period. A lot, of, most of the time it revolves around around uh wars which just about every single <clears throat> period of time has has a uh, some type of a, of a war going on and uh, so i think that that that's kind of where you know uh as far as specifically how much time um it, it it's hard to say because for instance a lot of times it'll revolve around uh you know current current events for giving an example um we're going through the coronavirus right now. So I didn't know much about the coronavirus or uh, I knew a little bit about pandemics in history, um, but but I didn't really spend a lot of time studying it. I mean, you knew that in the middle ages, you know, you dealt with uh, the black plague, they called it, and, and it's called various other things, but basically, you know, that was considered the one of the most deadliest uh, pandemics the world has ever seen, although it was, uh, the population of the world was much uh, wasn't as much as it is now by far, and then, uh, but the death rate was actually uh, much higher, um, you know, in the Europe in Europe. But um, I didn't know much about it. But the thing of it is, is that once once um, we heard about the coronavirus, and then once it once it was called a pandemic by the World Health Organization, then. Um, that spurred my interest to immediately start studying, uh, you know, pretty much in depth, at least the most recent one that would be 
1918 to 1920 would be, uh, you know, the Spanish flu. I, I honestly didn't know much about that at all. As I heard of it, I knew a little bit, very little. And because I'd always, you know, that was right during the time of World, World War I. World War, World War I was just concluding, and uh, which makes it very interesting. I've kind of talked about it in some of the past messages, but of how that the, the war itself you know, basically uh, why it was called the Spanish flu was not because it was originated in Spain. It was just simply that Spain was a neutral nation and the United States and, uh, you know, Germany and, and Great Britain and all these countries that were involved in the war had, uh, you know, they had specific, uh, uh, they couldn't report uh, on on events that were going on that would anything that would be a negative reaction to the public uh, for that war. So, uh, you know, it was ravaging. It was ravaging the the soldiers in the trenches. It was it was going across these countries and creating a lot of uh, uh, you know death and and the disease was spreading. But yet, uh, when it hit Spain, and uh, there, then they actually reported on it. So that's where it was first widely reported was in Spain. So they call it the Spanish flu. But nevertheless, it wasn't really. Hadn't started there, but my point is, is that I think that I, I began to research um, that particular pandemic in history because it's the closest thing, or probably the most similar thing that we're going through now, uh, uh, or potentially could get there. Uh, but there's there is differences. But I guess the issue to your the point to your question would be that uh, that caused me to study that particular period of time in history. So I think my interest in history, you know, fluctuates based on kind of what's going on and what it may be, it may be something that I see uh, or a story that I might hear that all of a sudden I want to research that particular topic. And then it, it always winds up going back, uh, you know, trying to study the origination of it. So I think the history, uh, you know, how much time I spend, I, I guess I would spend, a good bit of time because even when it relates to uh, the Bible, um, I, you know, whenever there's, uh, you know, I'm always looking for historical uh, context that would uh, support or go along with some point that I'm going to make in, in in my teaching or preaching. Yeah. So that makes sense. Just kind of use whatever daily events or any major big events during our time to kind of just go back and see like, I guess in a way how to, how we dealt with this before in the past and then just read on it then and there. So actually it makes right. a lot of sense. And actually, that's actually, I kind of like that. I didn't think about it. I just always thought of learning history in class. So it was, yeah. it was like, well, I did that too. I mean, I'm not saying that I didn't, that I don't just, you know, for quote leisure, just to read, I do, but I guess maybe that may have been the case going back some years, but I think recently or more recently, maybe in the last 10, 15 years or whatever, uh, I think I probably spend more time studying history as based on circumstances, events, current events that pop up. And I go back and, and research things. Yeah. So, All right. So for the second question is um, uh, still on history. What is your favorite uh, historic event that you have um, read or studied? Okay. Well, obviously... If, you know, 
let, let's outside the Bible because the Bible, of course, is history. So I mean, obviously, the cross, any biblical events would always top everything. But outside the Bible, my, I think it, it would be easier to state that U.S. history would be my favorite because, um, and within that U.S. history, of course, would involve. Um, you know, different periods of time from, from the, you know, uh, you know, the, the great expansion West with Lewis and Clark and, and uh, the revolutionary war, the war of 1812 with the British, all those are fascinating. And the civil war, um, I think the civil war, probably the American civil war probably caught my interest um, when I was a kid more so than anything else. Uh, else, and I often wonder why it 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 was. I I, I don't use the word my favorite. I'll, I'll, it was at a, at a particular point in time when I was younger. That was definitely the, my go-to if I really want to study every single battle, all the generals, and all that stuff. And I think that uh, there was a lot. I, I try to think what what sparked my interest. And I think some of it had to do, well, one, it was U.S. history. It involved the North and the South. It involved uh, families that literally were, you know, brothers were fighting against brothers, depending on where you lived. Uh, there was a lot of uh, dynamics with, of course, slavery and everything else. Uh, and I think the other thing that, that catches my attention with or caught my attention with the Civil War was it was really the first war that was uh, photographed. Uh, although nothing live, but they had daguerreotypes and different things that they would, you know, the whole process of, of photography caught my attention. And the reason why that was interesting, it, it was probably based more on my lack of being able to really read when I was younger. Uh, we didn't have a television in our house. Uh, my parents, you know, I, I read comic books, but usually it was restricted to Richie Rich or Archie. Back then it was very you know, just very generic, basic, uh, no crazy type comics like they got today. But um, other than that, you know, it, it, you know, I had a lot of history books. And and if it didn't have, I remember, you know, going through a book, if it didn't have a picture on it, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't interested in the book. Because, I mean, I was 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, whatever, you know. So I wasn't really interested in reading, but I would always go through all these history books that had that had either they had illust they were illustrated uh, you know they had some sort of painting so the civil war had more pictures than at that time uh you know than say the revolutionary war which is more artist renditions so anyway i think that's that that was part of it too it caught my uh attention of course world war ii was photographed and, and all of that but i think the civil war uh probably grabbed my attention uh the most at the time all right so for uh, our third question, uh, how do you take what you learn in history and use it to teach uh, the Bible? Well, you know, the thing of it is, is that, as I've mentioned often, is the is man uh, does not change. The desires of man does not change. Um, people that lived, you know, 200 years ago had the same desires that we do right now they have a different technology different era different time but they still have human nature doesn't change so um based on that uh if if i'm studying uh, not always but if i'm studying uh something to do with uh whatever topic in the in the bible um it, it may be um then 
many times I'll try to use some sort of historical uh, outside the Bible uh, example just to tie in because that's just, I mean, a lot of, uh, obviously a lot of preachers do that. It may not be necessarily history. It could just be a number of different ways that they find things that, that will, um, you know, tie in with their thought, their focus, or their aim of, the, of their message. So that's usually what I'll do is, uh, you know, take something in history that may be uh, relevant to, you know, I'm trying to think of some examples right now over the years of different examples that I've given that have been, uh, you know, I could use an example in history of that particular uh, thought or message that I'm uh, bringing out. So for me, it just kind of gives more of a, a broad way of bringing out some maybe more recent events to tie into the, the, the thought that the Lord has given me uh, in the Word of God. Yeah, no, that's very interesting. It's always one of my favorite things when you preach is you always took something from history and just kind of just like mixed it with the Bible, but like kept it as an example, but it still stayed on top of it with it. That was always like one of my favorite things every time you preach. I was like, all right, I'm ready for another history story to be read to me right now or taught. So um, your father, Elder Combs, powerful man, God, was known as the walking Bible and memorized a lot of scripture. And you yourself have a lot of scriptures uh, memorized and you were able to quote them perfect. Did you use the same method that your father did to uh, memorize and quote scripture? Or did you develop your own method of um, memorizing it and then being able to quote it? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, my dad, he talked a little bit about, you know, memorization. Um, he, he was able to, um, uh, I, I never claimed my memory was as good as my dad's, especially in certain, uh, in certain respects. Uh, my dad's memory was very good dealing with, you know, dates, numbers, uh, uh, specific facts and things like that. He was always very good, even outside scripture. Um, and my dad, I think had more, he was able to, he was able to focus on one particular thing. I think a lot better than me. Uh, I'm, I'm more, I'll jump around a little bit. And so if you're trying to memorize something, you know, that can, that can be a hindrance if you can be laser focused on what you're trying to study. And I tend to let my mind wander a lot. I think my dad was able to capture that and that's that helped him memorize he was inspired by uh, a young man when he was a my dad <clears throat> my dad my grandmother came uh to calvary tabernacle um they her brother raymond huckstra was actually uh had a broadcast and was talking about um jesus name baptism and my grandmother <clears throat> my dad's mom was uh they were methodists and so my dad was very young at the time. He probably was only about maybe, I don't know exactly. He, he may have been about eight years old. He wasn't very old. Um, was was uh, had always been interested in 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 the Word of God. And so they heard the broadcast. They went. And uh, long story short, they, they short uh, they 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 were baptized in Jesus' name. They saw Jesus' name baptism. <clears throat> and uh, one of the preachers at the time that that I guess was associated with Raymond Huckstra was a, 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 a young man. Uh, I don't know how old he was. He was older than my dad, but he probably was, he was probably in his early teens, maybe 12, 13, 14. I don't know exactly, but uh, I've actually seen pictures of him and some of the old 
old albums and stuff that they've had. But his name was Little David. He wore white three-piece suits, and they would do a lot of, of tent revival type things, and uh, along with Brother Raymond Huckstra, who was the pastor at the time of Calvary Tabernacle. And Little David apparently, according to my dad, quoted a lot of scripture. And so that 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 was kind of a, he looked up to Little David being younger than him, but as a, as a preacher. And so my dad emulated a lot of stuff and started memorizing scriptures, uh, you know, and found that he, he was very good at it. And, uh, and so, um, he, he, he began to develop, uh, the thing is the question your question was, did he have a certain style or, or technique in, in quoting scripture? Yeah. And, um, I've heard my dad talk about it. I, I don't know specifically if he had one particular way. Obviously, or being repetitive or repeating it over and over and over. But I think that's probably was his go-to was just to take the scripture and to break it down into phrases and repeat that phrase, repeat that phrase, repeat that phrase, and then go on to the next one. I think he also, of course, and this is what I do, is try to at least understand it the best you can because that kind of helps you to, if you break it down, at least understand what the scripture is, is talking about, helps you deal with the memorization part. And of course, with the King James Version, you know, there's, you get into certain areas where there's certain words that you may not even either know how to pronounce or you don't know what they mean. And, and I, I think, you know, he, he worked on that also. Of course, when you're younger, you sometimes it's just, you're just repeating it. So, um, my dad's method, he, he, like I said, he was able, I think, to focus more uh, and, uh, he also started preaching at a, a much younger age than me. So you're talking about preaching. Uh, I think he preached his first message when he was nine years old, uh, at, at a kid's or youth rally or something or at the church. And then he preached his first tent revival at 14. So, and, uh, so, you know, he, he was on a whole different, he was, he memorized thousands of scripture before I even, even thought about it. Remember, cause I didn't, you know, I was much later and as far as that goes, I, I didn't want to be a preacher. <laughs> so, so, you know, his method, uh, did I get anything from it? Yeah. I think I probably used some of the same techniques he, he did. I, uh, but really I, I think I had a distinct advantage over say my dad or maybe even others because once I felt the call to preach, um, <clears throat> I could take passages of scripture that I wanted to memorize, and I could memorize those scriptures much, uh, much faster because I could literally hear my dad's voice in my head quoting them. So it's, it, that's where it goes back to the repetitive thing. Like if you listen to, you know, a song over and over and over, eventually the words are going to be in your head. So I heard my dad preach so much when I was a kid <clears throat> that a lot of those scriptures were, were fairly easy to memorize because I'd heard them quoted before. Okay. So it, it goes back to being, you know, uh, you know, the, the fact that you need to re re repeat, you know, just repetitive, being repetitive with it. Yeah. Cause that's a, uh, me being a Bible cousin, that's what I did. I always took a, depending on how long the verse was, I would take a, just a small part and I would just repeat that over and over until we're like, I wouldn't have to look at the Bible anymore and I could just say it over and over. Then I would just move on right to the next part and just re go, go on repeating that. And then every time I would finish the next part, so like say if I started on the verse, uh, I 
learn one part, I'll go to the next, I'll memorize that, and then I'll just start over and just put those two together and just keep repeating that. And then I'll just keep moving on to certain, to the smaller parts. Right. And that's pretty much what I do. Um, my dad was much better. And this is, this is an important point. He, because he was much better with numbers and memorizing like numbers, like he always knew, always knew the mileage on his car. He could tell you down to the exact mile that his car was at all times. He, he, he literally every time he got out of his car, he, he memorized the mileage and just different things like that, which is most normal people don't do that. But he was fascinated with numbers and details like that. Uh, bigger things he could miss, but that stuff he, he was very good at uh, and was interested in it and would, would focus on it. Um, myself, I, I don't even try to memorize those things. Uh, he was very good, you know, at, at recalling things. You could give him a date from 1955, June of 1955. Where were dad? Where you? Where were you at? And in a little bit of time, he'd be able to recall where he was at, who he's preaching for, details concerning that particular service. Amazing. I I I, I couldn't do that. Um, I, I'm, for me, I'm much more general in my thinking. Uh, you know, specifics like that, I wouldn't capture unless I I tried to capture but my dad uh wrote these things down and then would go back and actually commit them to memory so the thing of it is is that um uh, but going back to the, what i was going to say was is the thing that i i struggle with probably the most in memorizing scripture is not the content of the scripture but actually the place and where it's found so a lot of times i'll get i still have trouble with like first corinthians and second corinthians they're both corinthians you know there's first and second and so those types of things throw me off. So I, I would quote a scripture many times when I was preaching. If I didn't give the specific place where it was found, my dad would always get after me. He goes, if you're going to take the time to memorize a scripture, memorize the address. He called it the address. You need to know where it's at. Yeah. Okay. So it was very good. You know, and I, I, so I still, that's one area where I probably struggle with the most is actually finding, uh, memorizing exactly where it is found. Uh, specifically, sometimes I'm a little bit more general, you know, but, but my dad taught and that I should be more specific with that scripture, knowing the exact verse. So for instance, if he memorized a verse, he would memorize the verse and that exact scripture where it was found. Okay. And then go on to the next verse where I'm more like, I'll just memorize the passage of scripture and then I'll just say, you know, I'll just list where it's found in the passage between, say, you know, verses one through five. My dad would memorize each particular verse, each, you know, one, two, three, and four, and five, and know where it would stop. Those are the things I'm not, I'm not as good at as my dad was much better at that. Yeah. I kind of struggle with that too. It's only because I just never took the time to do where that. I was more focused on just getting the verse down and then I would worry about where getting the information. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, um, so you've been preaching for a long time. Uh, what tips would you give to someone who's just starting out in preaching? So like, what advice would you have for new or young preachers? Well, I think that, um, these are good questions, but I think that, well, first of all, when, when you have the call of God in your life, you're, you're going to know it. You're going to feel the tug. You're going to feel, feel it. And I think that the, there, there, there's, there's a, I would say I've seen, uh, based on what I have seen, there is a, a fine line between being uh, overconfident, or I should say cocky or proud or just 
whatever, you know, like you're just, you're just everything, you know, and that, that is a, that is a very dangerous place to be in because when you get in that position, you're not teachable and you won't be submitted. And so on the other side of that would be somebody that has no confidence and yet they're called, but they have no confidence in their calling. And so that's not good either because that, that, that challenges your faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And then you are, you're in essence saying, well, God, you called me, but yet because I'm not, you know, capable or I'm not a great speaker or I'm not this or that, or I don't have a, the name or anything like that or ex the experience, therefore you, uh, you question and, 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 uh, you're, you're, you know, you're afraid to do what God wants you to do because you're not trusting that his calling and his power that he's given you is sufficient. If he called you to do something, he's going to give you the power to do it. Yeah. So there's that balance in knowing and being confident in your calling and knowing that God's called you and then being submitted not only to God, obviously to the Lord, but to your, your the ones that are over you. Because without that submission, you're in a world of hurt. And you're going to go the wrong direction, and your your ministry is never going to be effective until you learn to submit. So, you know, my advice to young preachers, um, you know, I, I, there's a lot to this. Obviously, you you've got to have a walk with God. You know, you 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 can't. And then, you know, there's there's a lot of tips I could give here, but one, you you can't wait until you're asked to speak to actually start to study. It don't work that way. Uh, and that's why some get aggravated with me when I ask them, you know, well, they'll say, well, I wish you to give me, you know, give me, I need two weeks, you know, notice before you ask me to preach. I understand that. But really, if you're called to preach, you should, you should have, you should have messages on the table. I mean, if you think about it, what, what profession or what, you know, what, who's like that? It's like, okay, well, you're on the bench, uh, you know, you're a basketball player. You mean to tell me you're only going to practice when when you know you're gonna actually gonna play that 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 game that night, I mean it just don't work that way. You 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 develop you have a walk with God, you have a prayer life, you study the Word of God not just for a message, but because of your relationship with God. But then you also have messages. They may not be fully prepared, but thoughts write them down. You know you it, being called to preach, God's gonna put something in your heart and uh with our technology today you know before you know i just and i still use a pen and a paper a lot of times in notes and i'll just write down today a thought came to my mind and i i just took a notebook and and wrote down as i thought about it it's good to do it right when you think about it as much as possible because with all the distractions you can lose it very very quickly and i have done that before i'll say oh that's a great thought and i'll build on a little bit in my mind and i'm like i won't forget it and guess what bunch of stuff happens. And a day later, I'm like, what was that thought that God gave me? What was it? And, and sometimes I, you know, sometimes you never get it back. So you want to, you know, these are all you ask for advice for young preachers, learn to have a walk with God, stay submitted to leadership, uh, be patient you know, God will, you don't have to beat the door down. God will open up the doors. If God's anointing and calling is on your life, there will be, trust me, the doors will open, okay? And God will make, a, 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 there'll be room for your ministry. Um, you know, and it, I, I, I think what really one of the, big, the, the, the biggest things I can think would be, obviously outside of having a relationship with God, 
uh, would be to stay submitted because it's it's so easy to look at uh, too many people come into this, you know, with the mindset of, uh, I shouldn't say too many, there's some, but, you know, coming with the mindset that I'm, you know, I'm going to be a big name, quote, big name preacher. It don't work that way. It don't work that way. The only big name we're preaching about is Jesus. That's it. Yeah. And when it when it becomes all about Him, is when God's going to lift you up. Because if you're exalting yourself, friend, you're going to you're never going to make it. it it's going to it's going to end up in a disaster. So you know uh, that that would be my advice: is always never let if you if you preach an anointed message and it's it's fantastic, and people will give you accolades and that's great. You know, and say, hey man, great job. That's wonderful. I know it feels good, and everyone wants to do a great job. I love that too. But quickly, you make sure you deflect that and give that glory to God because without His anointing, we, we we're not doing it. Yeah. It only takes it. It's got it's got to be the anointing of God. If we're depending on our own talent, talent or ability. Then basically, what we're doing is we're just competing with every other great speaker out there that that may not have the truth, or they're just they're just dynamic speakers. You know, and and uh, being called to preach is not about just being a quote dynamic speaker. We're anointed of God, and uh, this is a uh, the other thing is is you remember that this is a calling, and not a. I I know I used an example as a profession, you know, like a professional, you know, basketball player, or whatever. But really, this is not a career or a profession, but it is a calling of God. Yeah, and so, man. My phone shut off. <laughs> and so um, when you were uh, first called to preach, what was your experience like? Well, when I felt the call to preach, I really wasn't. My mindset was somewhere else. So I I, I did not respond to the call of God. I, I don't specifically remember exactly when I felt the call to preach. I think it probably was, you know, over a process of time because, you know, the Bible talks about that he stands at, at the door and knocks. If any man hears his voice, opens up, then he comes in. And and that that I think was part of the issue is that God was knocking or calling or trying to get my attention. But I would basically, when I felt that tug or I could, you know, I think about, or I could, I could hear myself preaching, you know, and I'm like, it just was a, f I could, you know, I, and I felt the uh, anointing, uh, but you know, like, I could see myself preaching and feel the anointing of God. I'd be driving, you know, drive my truck. Remember, I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't respond to the call of God until I was, I'd already been married a year, year and a half. So I, I think I was almost, I was 20, 21 before I really responded to the call of God. So. You know, there's a lot of a lot of stuff here. I've given you know my testimony before, but basically, you know, uh, I met my wife in church, Sister Combs, and uh, we 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 grew up together. You know, we weren't dating when we were kids or anything like that. And then later on, uh, when we became teenagers, you know, uh, at some point, you know, I think it was in 1986 that I that I uh, uh, you know asked her. We kind of started dating, and then. Uh, I believe that was 80, 86, no, 85. We started dating. And then 86, I asked her to marry. And then we married in 87. But um, she was very young. I was very young. But at the time, um, I really wasn't in church with all my heart. 
So I, I went to church. I worked a lot. I worked, I always worked like two jobs. And so I wasn't really faithful to church. I came to church on Sundays and, uh, but I, I wasn't involved in the choir. I, did, I wasn't involved in, I never led service. I never, you know, did anything like that. I, I was, I was involved with the youth. I mean, you know, we would go do stuff and everything like that, but I never was involved in, in the preaching aspect. I had the Holy ghost. There were times when, you know, over the years when I was, a, you know, went to junior camp, senior camp, stuff like that. And, and obviously during those times, you know, I, I get close to God and I was, you know, uh, you know, prayed through and everything like that, but I'd come back and I'd get, you know, I just was, I never got involved in drugs, never got involved in alcohol, never got involved with the party lifestyle. Thank God. Um, one of the things that I was pretty much consumed with was, was basically just a lot of jokes, prank, doing pranks and a lot of, uh, funny recordings and stuff like that. All the way through high school I was, I was just a big jokester. So, you know, it was more of a cut up and, and, uh, uh, I, I, my mindset, I wanted to be, uh, you know, like, I don't know if you guys, he's still around It's weird, weird Al Yankovic did a lot of parody songs and stuff like that. That's kind of like the, what I wanted to do. Just tell a lot of one, just a lot of jokes and, and, you know, just be a, basically a comedian, do the record funny recordings and stuff like that. I love doing that kind of stuff. So that was my, that was my direction that I was going and I wasn't in church with all my heart. Now, the one thing I can say that I guess would be a positive aspect of that would be, I think that drive to just doing a lot of pranks and different things like this would, it kept me, I never got like wrapped up with uh, the kids at school uh, that were, I was friends with them, but I never got in the party. I never went to the parties and I went to the dances, never, never involved myself. The Friday nights, I hung around with, you know, a couple of the guys in the church that liked to pull pranks and we would just go around and be, be you know, for people's reaction, we just do stupid things, you know, nothing really illegal or nothing like that, just crazy stuff, you know, to make people laugh. So we just love to laugh and nothing really wrong with that. But I think that in a way that kept me looking back, it kind of kept me away from getting wrapped up into the drug scene and all the different things that I could have been wrapped up in, but I wasn't living for God the way I should have been living for God. So I still was listening to things I shouldn't listen to and, you know, just wasn't in the church with all my heart. But to get to the point there, after I got married, um, uh, the Amber was first born uh, around in 89. Uh, I remember specifically, and I'll try to uh, tell this, uh, I, I've told this dream before, but I remember I was working two different jobs. I was working at, uh, I was working at Pepsi-Cola and I was a uh, driver uh, for them during the week, Monday through Friday. And then on Saturday nights, Friday and Saturday nights, I would go out and I worked at the, it was out in Toltec, but it used to be a Chevron there. And they've, they've tore it down. Now there's a McDonald's and a Chevron there. But it was right next to the Carl's Jr. out there on Toltec Road. I believe it's Toltec Road right there. And then the I-10. And so I was sleeping. And it was a it was a, a Friday night. I worked all day. So I was sleeping in the evening to go to work that night. And work all night Friday night out there. at And, it, and it basically it was a gas station. And it had one of those. Back in the day, it had those little cubicles you would stay into, you know, that, that was right in the middle of all the, you'd have your, your gas pumps and it was a little, little cubicle there that, that was enclosed. And that's where we would be at uh, and for the night shift, you know? And so, and it had full service. We'd go out if they were in the full service part, but nevertheless, um, uh, I remember I was sleeping 
and uh, getting ready to go to work. But in the, in the before I went to work, I had a, I had a very vivid dream, and the dream was that uh, we were we were of course in the old building, and we were getting ready to start church, and we were sitting about about halfway back in the in the seats on the on the uh, it would be on the left side of the church building. I'll never forget where it was. About halfway back, and the, the youth were at the time were all there was about fifteen or twenty of us. We're all kind of congregating in that section, and of course the building was much smaller then. And w one of the young people had a boombox. I don't know if you guys know what a boombox is, but uh, in the old days, we you know, in the eighties, we had boomboxes, and, and they were listening to music. Okay, and so um, they were all just laughing. We're talking, and 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 so I could feel in my spirit though that, and I know you felt it before, where you had that urgency, like God is going to do something great in His service tonight. I just felt the power, like like God was going to, yeah, that anticipation, like God wants to move, and I, and I felt that rise up within me, and then. I remember hearing my dad uh, at the platform, and I look up to my dad, and my dad says, let's all stand, and, and uh, let's lift up our hands. We're going to believe God for a great service tonight. And then I look back, and, and I stood up, and I look back to the young people behind me, and they were all talking, and, and listened. they didn't turn the music down, and, and they were just, it, it was like they totally did not hear my dad. And I remember something rising up within me. And, and I know why this happened because at the time, one of the reasons I felt, well, another reason why I felt a thought the call to preach, one, I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't want to be a preacher. I, I wanted to make everyone laugh. I didn't want to offend nobody. Okay. And I always wanted to be everyone's friend. So those were, those were things that really hindered me because I knew if I was going to preach, I would have to, there's going to be times if I'm going to please God, I'm going to, I'm going to offend somebody, you know? Uh, and so, I think that all played into the, my my demeanor at the time of what was going on in my mind, but I felt this 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 righteous anger rise up within me that they weren't responding to what my dad was saying. So I look back at my dad, and my dad it like repeats himself, and I I feel it in my heart. And I turn around, and they're not listening, and this went on a couple of times, and finally, I felt myself just just right, lift up my voice and say, hey, don't you hear what the pastor's saying? We're getting ready to have church here. And as soon as I did that, I remember I got all their attention. They all looked at me. And then, and then, I, and then, I, 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 and then I just started like, I felt that, you know, like when you're preaching, like, come on, we're going to have a, the power of God's in this house. We're going to have a great service tonight. Turn that music off. You know, turn the stereo off, and and uh, and come on, let's stand up. Well, when I did that, they did turn the music off, and there was some of the young people. Most of them responded, and there was a few of them that got up and they 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 looked at me really like angry, and they walked out. But the others stood up, and 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 you could see in their in their eyes they were they were responding to what I had said. And then I woke up. Well, when I woke up. I, I knew that was a dream from God. I mean, I already felt the call to preach before that, and I fought it. But that that was like the the straw that broke the camel's back. I literally, I remember waking up. I couldn't go back to sleep. I remember going to work. I for the first time, I took my Bible with me. I took my Bible to work. Now that for me, that was a big that was a big thing. And I remember going out there, and at at at, at times it would be very 
uh, slow and uh, at night out there. But I remember taking that word of God and I made up my mind at that point with that dream. I was like, I don't care what anyone thinks. I don't care if they laugh at me. I don't care if they get angry with me. I don't care if they say, well, I'm just preaching because my dad's a preacher. All these thoughts had went through my mind. But when I went out there that night and I opened up my Bible and I started reading, I'm going to tell you every single scripture that I read, every passage of scripture in Matthew, I could hear myself preaching that passage, even though I'd never preached it before. So there was no question in my mind that God was calling me. I, I just, when I responded, then at that point is when I began helping my mom with the youth class and teaching, and eventually I started preaching. So that's kind of it, you know, in a nutshell. That's very interesting. And so for the final question is, uh, um, what advice would you tell a young person that might be struggling with finding direction in their life? Well, you know, I think that probably all I think every young person is gonna is going to come to that that point where they're not they're not really sure about what you know what what they're gonna be in life you know who they're who they're gonna get married to you know what's gonna happen and and all those things and so you know looking back once again I can refer back to my own uh, experiences and I just relayed part of my testimony but you know clearly you know, the, the, the statement that I've always heard and, and it's very true is, you know, you can't go wrong when you do right. Always do what's right. And, 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 and doing what's right is, is following the principles in the word of God, staying submitted to godly leaders, leadership. And, and, uh, it doesn't mean that we're not going to mess up when I get sidetracked, but if, if one thing that I can, I can look back on my life and, and and honestly say, even though I definitely was not perfect, one thing about I can say is that I always respected my parents and leadership. I'd, I I never openly rebelled. That doesn't mean I'd always listen to what they told me, but I never I never was rebellious. I always allowed the voice of God to speak into my life, and so I think that's what kept me. Uh, and, 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 and ultimately was able to steer me in the right direction. When I came to that fork in the road, so to speak, and had to make a decision, was I going to be a comedian or go that direction? And, and by the way, I mean, some of my stuff that I had recorded, actually they had played on some of the radio stations at the time. Now this is a whole different era. Okay. Of time, you know, I recorded some parody songs and stuff and some of the morning shows that were did comedy actually played some of my stuff. And I thought that was, I thought that was so neat, you know, that I had stuff like that, that was good enough to be played on the, on the air. So I really, that was, you know, part of me, that's where the direction I wanted to go. So, you know, advice on, on what exactly to do, um, uh, you know, Hey, allow godly leadership in your life that, that, that will help steer you in the right direction. Don't be arrogant and think that, well, you know what, I'm just going to do my own thing. And don't, and don't think that there are not, uh, consequences for your actions. Cause the devil's very good at, at, at letting you or th getting you to think that, well, you can always repent later. You can always live for God later, you know, always later, later, later. And the, the, the fact of the matter is, is we're not promised tomorrow. You know, and and uh, and there are consequences to all of our actions, and there are things that you can't get back. Uh, yes, God can and will forgive you, and yes, you can get back on the right track. But many times, we later in life, I've seen it happen so many times where people are their lives are so much more 
difficult because of decisions they made when they were younger, rebellious decisions and things that they took no advice. And they were just like, I'm just going to sow my wild oats and I'm just going to be do whatever I want to do. And then I'll come to God later on. God's merciful. Thank God for his grace. And sometimes those people come back. Sometimes they, sometimes they don't. But I will tell you this, that every person that's made those types of decisions and came back later brings brings much baggage with them that makes their lives so much more difficult when if they would have just followed the plan of God. And, and like I said, everyone's going to make mistakes. But there are things, you, you know, many times people make their lives much more difficult to live, especially in their later years because of things that they just didn't follow biblical principles when they were younger. So that would be my advice to to young people that are seeking direction is that it doesn't always come crystal clear at, at a moment. Sometimes we want to just a, the, the crystal ball mentality. I just, you know, I want to see exactly what I'm going to be. Blah, blah, blah. And it doesn't really work that way. Sometimes, yes, sometimes God will show you or, or what he's going to do in your life, but rarely does it happen overnight. And usually it's a process and you don't see all the obstacles and things, just like Joseph is a good example, that you don't see all the things in between. But God is preparing you for those promises that he's made you. But you've got to follow, you you have to stay submitted and follow those biblical principles and do what's right. Yeah. No, I agree with you, especially with the um, influence. Because I remember uh, there was a friend of mine one time, he told me that he had another friend that didn't, that wanted to stay away from uh, not hang out with him really much anymore because he felt that he had a bad influence on him. And I really do believe that if depending on how much you hang out with that person, whatever their influence is, if you just let it influence, uh, if you just let them influence, uh, influence you a lot. Cause I, I actually used to let people influence me. If it always wasn't good. I just learned how to finally let them go and just, just stop talking to them. And I just know that whoever you hang out the most with, whatever their influence is, it'll, it'll like, Pretty much however they think, how whatever they do, that if you hang out with them too much, it'll just influence you and you'll just be just like them. So if they're not living for God, if they're not their mindset's not on church or the things of God, if that if you just keep hanging around with that influence, it's just eventually eventually gonna affect you and your mindset and you're just gonna to me, your mindset is just gonna go just right where they are. Yeah. Yeah. There's no question. I mean, you know, there there's you you have to use a lot of wisdom and and uh uh, you know, you, you, you hang around, you know, when you're, when you're, especially when you're a young, peer, a young person, peer pressure is, is extremely strong. So people wanting to fit in and, you know, go along with the crowd and all of that. And I have, there's so many examples I could give of ones that I grew up with that were the same age, same upbringing, but they at some point started hanging around with, with, uh, you know, a negative crowd that actually drew them away from God. And, you know, I've certainly been, you know, in situations where I've been in the wrong crowd. And yes, I know the power of that, of being influenced by that. Uh, thank God, my, my, I think overall, my personality was strong enough that I was able to, when I was around people that were negative or whatever that had that influence, I didn't allow it to, to affect me. But I also didn't make it a point to associate with them Especially, well, for instance, going back to like school, for example, my, my friends at school, uh, you know, being as a secular school. So, um, but they all knew, I mean, I, I look, I didn't carry my Bible to, to, to school like my dad did. I wished I did, but I didn't, I, I wasn't, I wasn't that strong spiritually, 
but I also was I also was strong enough spiritually to recognize, and I think that I came a lot with uh, once again going back to respecting my leadership and those that were over me that my parents had instilled it so it's so strongly and I didn't rebel against it that I knew I'm not going to a dance. I'm not going to the school, these school activities or things that would that would draw me away that put me in a place where I would be, you know, I, I just didn't do it. Uh, I wasn't going to date a girl outside of church, even though I wasn't in church with all my heart. I, I didn't do that. If I would have done that, I probably would have ended up in a lot of different circumstance than I am right now. So yes, influence uh, being a negative influence is, you know, and, and, and look, it can even be people in church, supposedly in church, that may be a negative influence. There's a way to treat people, getting back, to, uh, I was kind of missed my point a little bit, but my friends at school respected and understood that I wasn't going to go out and, and I wasn't going to go hang out with them at, outside of school if it had anything to do with that type of stuff. You know, uh, when I worked at Jack in the Box, same thing. They all knew that there's certain things that I didn't do, and they respected that. I didn't, I wasn't preaching at them. I just let them know that that was my convictions, and I didn't do those things. And and so, I, I think I was I was still able to be an influence on them, and them not influence me. So you could still be friendly, and and have associations with people without putting yourself in a situation where you're going to be have to compromise your convictions. You know, and uh, so I, you know, I hope that answers your question. No, yeah, that's it. And that's actually our questions for today. So, Pastor, thank you for your time and for everyone that tuned in. Uh, thanks for tuning in. And I hope you guys all have an amazing, blessed day.